picture uh, up there that didn't seem to age well. Yeah, I think there's just a little bit of jealousy on Randy's part. Uh, you know, because you can age gracefully, and you know, at least my hair. I'm, I've lost a little on the backside here uh, a long time ago, but the rest of my hair is just turning silver, uh, not loose. So you can. You can't age gracefully. Not everyone gets to. For the rest of you, you know, so many of you bald is beautiful. Um, not always, though. I mean, we just see some examples where it's just rough. You know, age is hard. He's going to try to come back with something, so I took his words from last end of last service. Last week, we recounted the, the wonder of the Christmas story. We, we, we were introduced to the story in Luke 2 of of. The story of Caesar Augustus' census. We, we read about and heard about Mary and Joseph, the manger, the shepherds, and the angels who came to the shepherds saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And just recounted the wonder of Jesus' birth. It was such a cool, wonderful, beautiful time that we love to celebrate at Christmas. But I want you to know, in addition to what was happening there that was so glorious and amazing, more was happening in the world that many folks have never realized. So much more was going on in the world. Things that, that were taking hundreds of years to, to come to fruit. And so much so that Jesus was born at the most perfect time in history. Jesus' birth was such perfect timing that folks, have you thought about the fact that it split history in two? Into B.C. and A.D. Our calendar is based on Jesus' birth. B.C. before Christ. A.D., Ino uh, Domino, which stands for in the year of our Lord. It's Latin. So, uh, yeah, Ino Domino, Domino, something like that. So, in the year of our Lord, 2022, you finally learned what A.D. meant, in the year of our Lord. Well, now, in an effort to scrub Jesus from history, uh, unsuccessfully, I believe, uh, so many academics today don't use the, the, the terms A.D. and B.C. They use B.C.E., before the common era, and CE, the common era. So you'll notice that in, in more modern textbooks, it'll say BCE, but it's kind of silly because it's still based on Jesus' birth. So what made the timing of Jesus' entry into our world so perfect? Some of you are going to recall some things from your history class that you didn't necessarily realize was all orchestrated by God and how it was put together to make the timing of Jesus' entry on earth so perfect. It was a perfect time politically. You see, Octavian defeated Antony in the battle of, uh, in the battle, it was, it was a naval battle uh, of Actium, yeah, in, in 31 BC. And then he became the sole leader of the Roman Republic. And then he turned it into the Roman Empire and he solidified the Roman Empire. It was a brutal empire, but, but the things that he did, he created a time that began and lasted for 300 years of peace in the world, completely surrounding the Mediterranean world, 300 years of peace all across Europe, the Middle East, Western Asia, and, and the entire portion of Northern Africa. It's been called, the, the 300 years of peace has been called the Pax Romana, meaning the Roman peace. During that Pax Romana, Roman engineers built mad, marvelous bridges and roads, many of which still exist today. If you go to Bulgaria with us on a mission trip, we take a, a trip down to uh, into Greece to go to the city of Philippi. And on, that, and on the way down there, if you go with us, you'll get to see a Roman bridge. And if it's not raining, you might get to walk on it. It's amazing what they did. Rome's iron fist of leadership over the Roman world made travel safe 
by preventing tribal warfare and preventing highway bandits on most highways from attacking people. So people were able to travel freely during this Pax Romana. And it also, they, they secured the seas too by eliminating all the pirates on the seas. And so sea travel became very common in that day and in that time. And the result of that is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, began to spread like wildfire after Jesus' resurrection as, as evangelists like the Apostle Paul that we read so much about in the Bible as he traveled freely and safely all around the known world on multiple trips. So it was, the, it was the perfect time politically when Jesus was born. It was also the perfect time culturally because even though Rome conquered the known world, Greek culture conquered Roman culture. And as a result, everyone spoke Greek. Greek became the common language throughout the world. Again, allowing people like the Apostle Paul to freely communicate wherever he traveled. He didn't need a translator because most people spoke Greek during that time. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul used the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament of our Bible, the Hebrew Bible. He was able to use that Greek Old Testament, it's known as the Septuagint, to point people to the prophecies that pointed to Jesus all throughout the Old Testament to prove that Jesus was God's Messiah. Greek philosophy caused people to doubt their, their pagan religious beliefs. As their gods faded into myth and legend, it left this moral vacuum and hunger, moral vacuum and hunger in people who were created in God's image and who were created to worship God. They could now long for and know and meet the true God when people came to share the good news, the gospel. Religious toleration reigned as uh, it was encouraged by Augustus to, they would allow a new sect to develop within an established religion, such as Christianity within Judaism. It just spread across the Roman Empire without raising Roman suspicions for much of that time. It was the perfect time culturally. It was the perfect time politically, and it was the perfect time theologically. Jewish people longed for a Messiah. It had been 400 years since the last prophet spoke to the Jewish people. That was Malachi. It had been 400 years since that time. But all these prophecies that had been given that they continue to read and study and hope for this promised Messiah, they led up to and everything pointed to Jesus' birth. And when Jesus was born, as I said, Paul could point people to those prophecies and say, this is the promised Messiah. Jesus' birth came at the perfect time in history. If you have your Bible, I want to show you the way Paul describes that perfect time. Open your Bible to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. Galatians 4, 4. Galatians is one of the New Testament letters in the Bible, in the New Testament part of the Bible. The New Testament's more than, a little bit more than three-fourths of the way through your Bible. So flip over to that. You'll, you'll go through the four Gospels or four stories of Jesus from four different eyewitness accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you'll go through Acts. You'll go past Acts, which is the story of the early church. Then Paul's letters to the Roman church, Paul's letters to the Corinthian, two letters to the Corinthian church. And then you'll get to Galatians, which is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, which is located in modern-day Turkey. I want you to listen to Paul describe how this political, cultural, and theological timing lined up together perfectly for Jesus' birth, his coming ministry, his death, his resurrection, and the gospel declaration of the church once Jesus returned to heaven. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time set had fully come, God sent his son. I really like how other translations, most other translations translate this phrase, this, this, this perfect time. They say when the, in the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. God was not in heaven looking down at all that was going on with the Roman Empire and everything else and the Greek language spreading around. And God wasn't sitting up there and thought, you know, this, this would be a good time to introduce Jesus to the world. No, God designed world events in his sovereignty to create the perfect time for Jesus to come. So in the fullness of time, when the time was full, when it was just right, God sent his son. He made people ready for Jesus, the Savior of mankind, to not only come into the world, but to come into their hearts. The ancient Hebrew prophet Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus entered into the world, prophesied this gift of God that the world would receive one day. Randy talked about that two weeks ago. And then on the night of Jesus' birth, an angel and then angels announced to shepherds that the promised gift of God's Son had arrived in Bethlehem. We looked at that wonderful story last week. But today we're going to look, go back and look in Galatians 4. This is several years after Jesus' resurrection, after the church began to grow and spread all over the Roman world, into Europe, across the Middle East, down in and across Africa. Paul wrote this, this letter to the church in Galatia. And leading up to this, verse 4, as Paul was talking about this fullness of time, he described his audience that he was speaking to in Galatia, most of whom were not Jews. But he described them and his audience as heirs of God. Heirs of God that were going to receive all God's blessings and promise and receive an inheritance. But he also added in his description leading up to this point that even an heir when they were young, before they became of age, an heir was still considered no different than a slave. Even though they had this, they, they, they would be heirs and inherit their, their family's estate. But until then, they were treated like slaves, no differently than slaves, until their time had come. But now, Paul says, the time has come. In the fullness of time, it's ushered in their time. And we live still in this fullness of time where it's our time as well. Galatians 4.4, look at it again. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son Born of a woman, that was Mary, born under the law, it's the Jewish law, but it's really it's the law that applies to all mankind, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I want to break that verse down because there's so many beautiful promises in that. Jesus was born, born as God's son, so he was fully God. But he was also born as Mary's son, so that made him fully man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And being a man, he was born subject to the laws of God as everyone else, every one of us, and everyone in, in his generation. Jesus was born not simply a man, though. He was born a Jewish man, grew up in a Jewish household, and attended the Jewish synagogues. And as he grew up, he perfectly fulfilled all the demands of the law of God because Jesus never sinned. He lived a perfect life, which made him perfectly righteous. And he gave his righteousness to us when he became the perfect, spotless, unblemished sacrifice and died a sacrificial death to pay for our sins. Because of Christmas, we receive this gift of redemption. You know what that word redeem is? It's when you buy something back. The word redeem in Jesus' day, it meant to release a slave from their owner by paying the slave's full price. Many times people sold themselves into slavery to pay off debts. And yet, someone could pay their debt off and redeem them and free them. And so that's what Jesus did. He redeemed us. He paid off our sin debt by paying it for us, dying on a cross. 
He paid that full price for us. But that's not all the gift includes. Paul mentioned something else. He received, we not only were redeemed, he redeemed those under the law, but so that we could be adopted as sons. We also received, because of Christmas, the gift of adoption. Notice what it says, adoption. It's not just adoption. It says adoption to sonship. That word sonship means something very important. Sonship in this text is a, in this context, is a legal term. In the Roman world, a wealthy person, a wealthy man who had no, no children, could actually, they could adopt one of their servants, maybe even someone who was a slave. They could adopt them by paying a full price for them. And once they were adopted, that slave received all the rights and privileges of a son and heir. And we could never return to being a slave. In the Greco-Roman world, though, and in the Hebrew world as well, all the inheritance for a family went to the son. Women were not allowed an inheritance. And so it's important that Paul says here that we receive this adoption to sonship. What that means is that in Christ, everyone receives this adoption. We're adopted into God's family, and we're, we receive the, adopt, the, the inheritance, the sonship. So ladies, you're considered in this context, you have a, a sonship inheritance. We are all adopted into sonship. So we share equally, men and women, slave and free, Jews and Gentiles. There is no distinction in God's eyes. Everyone freely receives the same thing, has the same inheritance, the same rights. And that was revolutionary in that day. It still is in most cultures around the world today. It is in Christianity that women have been elevated in more than any other culture in the world. And if you look around the world where women are treated the best, it's either in, in somewhat Christian cultures or post-Christian cultures where they learn those values. Because in Jesus' day and in Paul's day, to say that women would receive the adoption of sonship just seemed crazy and radical. But this is what Jesus has done for us. He's elevated all people, made them equal. Women had no rights of inheritance, but in Christ they do. We're all equal heirs. There's a, a, a pastor in New York City. His name is Tim Keller. He's an author, and he, he formed a church. He's, he's since, I think, retired and passed it on to other leaders. It's called, I think it's Redeemer Church, or Christ Redeemer Church. It's a Presbyterian church that has multiple sites in New York City. Tim Keller is this brilliant person. He said, for us to understand what this adoption to sonship means, this redemption and adoption, he goes, we, have, we need first to go to an ancient slave market and see people being sold, and then someone buying them and setting them free to understand this redemption. And they would also need to go to an ancient wealthy household to see what it was like when someone would adopt a servant into their home to really understand this, this concept of adoption. It's not just adoption out of slavery. It's adoption into sonship, into an inheritance. Together they give us a picture of Jesus' amazing gift to us. The slave not only becomes free, the slave becomes a son, a child of God. Uh, another theologian, J.I. Packer, he offered this illustration to explain how the gifts of redemption and adoption come together, these two, these two gifts that came to us at Christmas. In redemption, the judge declares your sins paid for and forgiven. But in adoption, the judge not only declares you not guilty, the judge stands up, steps away from the bench, comes down to the slave, takes the slave's chains loose, and wraps his arm around the slaves and says, come home and be my son. You are now my child. What a gift we have been offered from God these gifts of redemption and adoption. And it's a gift that only God can give. Your parents cannot pass this gift down to you. This is not a matter of genetics. The, the phrase that we're all God's children, it's even in some of our beautiful Christmas songs, 
that's, not, that's not exactly true. Only when we've been adopted to sonship, only when we have by faith received this gift of redemption do we also become adopted into his family. Then we become God's children. It's not a matter of genetics. And it's also not a matter of some religious observance. Your parents uh, can't do something like infant baptism and bring you into the family of God. It doesn't work that way. You receive the gift of God the Father by faith in Jesus. So Paul beautifully points out that in the fullness of time, we receive this gift of redemption. Our sins are forgiven. We receive this gift of adoptions. We, are, we become God's children, but there's even more to this gift. Prophesied by angel, by Isaiah and declared by angels. The third gift we receive because of Christmas is we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Jesus. Look at verse 6. Paul said, because you are his sons, because you've been redeemed and adopted, because you're his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. I'll come back to that, Abba, in a minute. Who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. When you put your faith in Jesus, we call that here, we call it stepping over the line of faith, just to indicate that it's something that you must do by faith. You must, you must receive and step into God's offer of forgiveness and love and adoption. God sins not only gives you that redemption and adoption, he gives you his Holy Spirit. He puts the Holy Spirit into your heart, and the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence in your heart, inside of you. The Apostle Paul kind of worked this out in several letters that he wrote to different churches, and we, we have the, the, the gift of having all of them together, and we can look and see as he develops what this all means. In a letter that, he, that uh, Paul wrote to a church he planted in Corinth, he said, your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. They didn't need the temple in Jerusalem anymore to go and offer sacrifices to, to come close to God because Jesus was the final sacrifice. And the temple is now in our hearts. That's how we can, when Jesus talked about praying in spirit and truth, because we can pray. We, we have the Holy Spirit living in our hearts. We're, our bodies are temples. In, a, in another letter that Paul wrote later to the same church in the Greek city of Corinth, he said, God has set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. In still another letter, Paul wrote to the Christians in uh, the town of Ephesus. He said that we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a permanent sealing. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God for the day of redemption. So the gifts of redemption, adoption, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, folks, they are permanent. You cannot lose that. Once you have been saved by God, you are always saved. It's permanent. You cannot lose them. Let me go back and take a moment to talk about this word, Abba, because it shows how personal this gift of the Holy Spirit coming into our life is. We see it at the, verse, the end of verse 6. God sent, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Abba is an intensely personal Aramaic word for Father. It's for Father. It's the English equivalent to the word Daddy or Papa. It only appears three times in the New Testament. And I don't want you to think of it as used only a word by babies and toddlers, although it is. It's that personal. It's a personal. It's like becoming like a child and, and calling God daddy or, or father. But it also, Abba is the word, Abba appears twice in Paul's writings. Once when he says the Spirit cries out, Abba, Father. And another time when he says we cry out, Abba, Father, to say that we can call dad that, that personal uh, name. We call God that personal name of daddy or papa. But he also, 
The context, I think, that he was using it here was the third place it occurred, and actually the first time it occurred in the New Testament was when Jesus called his father, Abba, Father. We find that in Mark 14, 36, where Jesus said, Abba, Father, this was the night he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before he was betrayed, arrested, and then crucified the next day. Jesus, Abba, Father, Jesus said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus did not want to die on the cross. The night before he died, he did not want to die. He was looking at that in the agonizing pain that was going to be, and he just didn't want to do it. And he was saying, God, is there any other way to do this? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a point where you kind of knew what to do? You knew what God wanted you to do, and you wanted to do it, and you didn't want to do it. You wanted to honor God, but you're like, this is so hard. I don't know that I can do this, God. That's how Jesus felt. Jesus knows how you feel. Because he felt that way the night before he was crucified. And he cried out, Abba, Father, Daddy, Papa, please, don't make me go through this. But then he said, what is best for you? Because in the joy that was set before him, he was willing to go to the cross because what he, what he knew it would do for us, to set us free from our sins. Paul says the Spirit here calls out Abba, Father, for within us. Do you know what that means? That means that the Holy Spirit wells up within inside of us and draws us close to God and calls us to God the Father. We learn in Romans 8, another one of the, the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, that sometimes when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings too deep for us to understand. I don't really know how that works out, but I just know it does. There are times when you are so empty and wrung out Life is so difficult. The, the problem before you is so beyond your comprehension to understand how to solve and move forward, and you don't know how to pray. Have you ever felt like that? You will. If you haven't, you will. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, when you get to that point, you can know that the Holy Spirit is working within you, and he is crying out to the Father, and he is pulling you close to the Father. And he's crying out, Abba, Father, much as your daughter when she is frightened, may grab and wrap her arms around your neck when she is scared and says, Daddy, help. That's the Holy Spirit welling up within you and praying to the Father for you. We have this Spirit. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. What a gift He gives us. Don't miss Paul's summary of this gift that the fullness of time brings to us. Verse 7. So Paul says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. How do you see yourself before God? Do you see yourself as God's child and heir to all he has for you? How do you see your relationship with God? Do you feel like God's child and heir? Or do you feel something different? I'm afraid some of you feel like you're a slave to God. You're afraid to do something wrong, thinking that he'll turn his back on you and say, okay, that's it. I've gone this far, but that's enough. You're done. God does not do that to his children. I spoke a few weeks ago when we were looking through the book of John, where people whose hearts are hard and you just continue to harden your heart and say no to God, no to God, no to God, that there comes a point where your could not become a, where your would not becomes a could not. That's not in play if you step over the line of faith. Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Once you become his child, it is permanent. So do you feel like a slave and you're just trying to please God with how you act? Or do you feel like someone who's so loved by God that even if you mess up, 
he's still going to love you. That's how he wants you to see him. You need to feel like a child, forever assured of your father's love for you. If you put your faith in Jesus, if you respond to his spirit's leading in you, and you call on Jesus and ask him to forgive your sins and to take control of your life, if you do that, you have been adopted. And you've, not, you've, you've been redeemed. Your sins have been paid for and forgiven. You've been adopted into Jesus' family. And you receive the adoption of sonships. The gifts we receive because of Christmas, because of the incarnation, Jesus coming into our world, we have an eternal father in God. He will never leave us. Your earthly father may have, but your heavenly father never will. You have an eternal father. You have an eternal family in the church. Once you become family, we're stuck with each other, guys. And we know sometimes that's hard, right? Because sometimes we just get on each other's last nerve. But it doesn't change that family relationship. We're still part of the family. And you know what's really cool? It's not just this family here. It's the family of God down the road at another church and back in town and across the river. We are, we are part of the overall family of God, of everyone who calls Jesus Lord. And not just here. And not just across the country. If you go on a mission trip to another place, where we serve. We always go and we serve with other churches and other places. So if you go to Kenya or Bolivia, Bulgaria, Cambodia, Laos, if you go to some of these places with us, you will see, you will meet brothers and sisters in Christ. And they are your eternal family. And when you go to heaven, you will meet family members from all over the world that we share the common father as the Lord. And we share this family ship. We have an eternal father in God, an eternal family in the church. And we have an eternal home in heaven. You know, sometimes when we look at, at the rewards God's going to give us and, and, and when things are going to get better, for some of us, things get better in heaven, not here. But in heaven, it'll make our existence here on earth feel like that, just a short time. We have an eternal home in heaven. Folks, that's why it's a Merry Christmas. Not for all the other reasons, but because we have been redeemed, we've been adopted, and we've been Filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you received those gifts? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Many of you are. But I can't help but think that some of you are not. You've, you've come to church. You're checking this out. It's not sure. You haven't been sure. Maybe you're becoming sure today. Would you like to be a part of God's forever family? Would you like to have the, the guilt of your sins forgiven? And the power of the Holy Spirit within you to help you conquer your sins and to help you get past that and help you move forward in life and become the man or the woman that God has created you to be. And put your faith in Jesus. Ask him for forgiveness for your sins and accept his sacrificial death on a cross for you and become a part of the family and receive the inheritance of heaven. I can help you do that with a simple prayer. Would all of you bow your heads and close your eyes? And if you're the person I'm talking to, you, to today, then use this opportunity to trust Jesus. Just say a prayer like this. Jesus, I believe you are God's son. I believe you did die a sacrificial death for me. And I believe you want to adopt me into your family, your forever family. Forgive my sins. Come into my life, my soul, my heart. Take control. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live, how to take next steps. I don't know where this is leading, 
but I trust you to guide me.